Hi, my name's Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. We'll say it again, happy Father's Day to you who are fathers. Now, Father's Day uh, brings about maybe a mix of emotions. Uh, Maybe you're sitting here today and your father is not with you. Maybe this is your first Father's Day without your father. And uh, if that's you and Father's Day brings up a range of emotions, we just want to remind you of a few things. Number one, if your father is a believer, um, there's going to come a day where you're going to see your daddy in heaven. And... uh, Uh, There's no reason that I have to believe that we're not going to be able to recognize one another. And so that's just a good comfort to us that one day we're going to get to see our daddies again. Uh, So if that's you out there, take comfort in that. And secondly, uh, if you feel alone today without an earthly father, you have a heavenly father. And he's good. And he's with you. And so just remember that today. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Okay, that's where we're going to be. Now, remember, we're in a a series here uh, where we're discussing our vision, our mission, and our strategy. Now, in our minds, we say, why? Why vision? Why do we need to talk about this again? We just talked about this a few years ago. And the Word of God answers that question. Where there is no vision, the people perish, right? And so we need vision. In other words, we've got to understand why we exist and what we're here for and what God is calling us to be. And so in my mind, a vision is what God's calling us to be, a mission is what God's calling us to do, and a strategy is how He's calling us to do what He's called us to do. How? So our eight vision points are going to be up on the screen very briefly. Mr. James, start all the way at the beginning there, brother. There we go. We desire to be a church that reflects heaven a multi-generational, multi-ethnic group of worshipers who are captivated by and surrendered to Jesus. Last week we looked at number two, we desire to be a family where broken lives can encounter the healing power of Jesus. This week, we desire to declare God's Word through singing, preaching, and evangelism. We believe it's our responsibility and privilege to share the good news of Jesus wherever we go. Number four, We desire to become fully devoted disciples who are being transformed to look more like Jesus and are committed to knowing and obeying the Bible, loving one another, and making disciples of all nations. Five, we desire to train the next generation of pastors, church planters, missionaries, parents, and professionals who will serve their communities and point others to Jesus. Six, we desire to deploy the people... Deploy people to the edges of Oconee County, to the ends of the world, as ambassadors for Christ, armed with the gospel, filled with the Spirit. Seven, we desire to sow the gospel seed to thousands of people every year and help people who are far from God trust Jesus, join the SBC family, and enter into a process of discipleship. And lastly, 
We desire to see Jesus glorified in all that we do. We, we, that's our vision statement. Our mission statement is very simple. To help every person become a more devoted disciple of Jesus. Doesn't matter if you don't know Jesus or you've known Jesus 150 years. You're not as devoted as you ought to be. You, are, you don't love the Lord your God as much as you ought to love the Lord your God. And so we are in a process and we will finish that process when we die, right? So we're in the middle of it. And lastly, our strategy, three things, say them with me, declare, disciple, and deploy. We declare the gospel, we disciple the believer, we deploy the church. That is who we are, what God's called us to do, and how God's called us to do that. And today in two verses of 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, I want to focus on vision point number three. Let's read it together. Familiar to you, I'm sure. All Scripture, say it with me, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All Scripture is breathed out by God. That's what we're looking at today. And the vision again, vision number three is to declare God's Word through singing, preaching, and evangelism. That is uh, what we're talking about today out of this passage. And so we could maybe retitle the sermon, The Centrality of God's Word, right here at SBC. Why is God's Word on front and center at Seneca Baptist Church? Why is that the truth? It's because in our world that we live in, have you noticed that there is a search for truth in the world that we live in? There is a generation of people who are coming behind many of us and they are looking for the truth, but like the song says, they're looking for love in all the wrong places. Are you with me? And so just like our Keepers of the Kingdom video says there's a battle going on for truth. And young people following us and even the generation that we're a part of is finding it in all kinds of places, but where should we look for truth? This month that we're in, this month is June, and it is now so affectionately called Pride Month in our country, around the world. And that, uh, this month called, that, that is now being called Pride Month is kind of a living illustration that people are searching for truth in all the wrong places. They're looking for identity and purpose, meaning, and worth, and value, but they're looking for it not just in rebellion against God's creation order, but they're rebelling against the truth that God has clearly revealed to us. And it's a mindset of the world that we now live in. It just is. People, our, our culture around us is saying we've got to find truth, but it can't be an old truth. Have you noticed that? It's got to be a new truth. And it has to be my truth. Because have you noticed that in the world that we live in that my truth can differ from your truth? I don't, that boggles my mind. But that's the world in which we live. Now, for more than 2,000 years, much of humanity has been built on the fact that there is truth. There is truth. And it's objective. Objective truth is based on a reality outside of yourself, but subjective truth, which is kind of what our culture is looking for, is individualistic. It's based on me and my needs and what I'm looking for, 
and it can be different for you and for me. And for all of human history, Jews and Christians have built their lives around God's revealed truth that's been preserved for us in His Word. And we've built our lives and our cultures around that. And even our nation has its foundation in the truth revealed to us in God's Word. Now, can we just confess and admit that as a people, we have strayed like sheep from what God has clearly revealed? Churches have strayed from what God has clearly revealed. We're afraid to say what God has clearly said. We've got to talk about truth. Now, you, you might push back and say, but it seems very unloving to push my truth on somebody else. It seems very unloving. Now, we have to think about that well. Now, if somebody would come to you and say, what right do you have to tell me there's absolute truth? There is no absolute truth. And in that claim, there's an absolute truth. Much of our culture would push back and say, there is no absolute truth, which is an absolute truth in and of itself. The most loving thing, listen to me, church. The most loving thing that we can do in this time in human history is to declare what is revealed as God's holy word. Well, what if it frustrates people? May God's word frustrate you. Have you ever been frustrated by God's word? Now, we ought not be jerks in doing so, but if God's word afflicts the comfortable, Praise the Lord. Why? Because when God's Word afflicts the comfortable, either that person will soften by the work of the Holy Spirit into salvation, where the Word of God will then comfort the afflicted, or they will harden themselves against the Lord. The Puritans had a saying that the same sun that melted the ice hardened the clay. The Word of God will produce a fruit in uh, and in people's lives, and it will either melt the, the cold heart or harden it so that it cannot receive the seed. But God always fulfills His Word, always accomplishes the purpose for which it was sent. Are you with me, church? Now, in our culture, we've, we've got this well-preserved Bible, but people would kind of discount it. Have you noticed that in a world we live in, it's being a, a discounted book? Not like it's half off at the store, but more like, how can I trust that book? It's antiquated. Have you ever heard this? Stuff like this. It's antiquated. It's outdated. It's patriarchal. We just can't listen to that truth. That was for them way back when, but now we are very civilized people. We're so intelligent. We don't need a book like that, and that is so far from the truth. How? Now listen, let me show you a few statistics. According to, I think it's Pew Research, um, 26% of Americans believe the Bible is the actual Word of God and should be taken literally. So that's one in four in this room, for instance. One in four. So if there's 100 people, one out of every four do. 26 of 100 people would say, yes, the Bible is God's holy word, inerrant, infallible, take it literally, obey it, and build your life upon it. 66% of Americans read it less than one time 
per month. 66% of Americans. And 29% of Americans have live a life where they never read it. Now, that says a lot about our culture. Our culture. I heard this quote this week from Jackson. Jackson said, When a people rejects Jesus and His Word, they will spend the rest of their lives looking for what only Jesus can offer. Y'all maybe heard the, the illustration of a, we've all got a God-shaped hole. Have you heard that? And if we don't fill it with the Lord Jesus, we'll fill it with all kinds of things. We'll search and search and search for what only God can give. We will long for the satisfaction that only Jesus, the living water and the bread of life, can give to us. And that's exactly what we see. When you reject Jesus and His Word, you will constantly search. And here's the problem with rejecting God's Word as the unchanging, objective truth with our li- which our lives are built upon. Here's the problem. So imagine the, the culture that we live in. Many of us oftentimes, we will build uh, the truth of our identity and purpose and value on the foundation of the surroundings that I have, the upbringing that I was raised in, the feelings that I'm currently experiencing. I will build it on surroundings and people and circumstances But what happens when those surroundings and people and circumstances and feelings change? If my identity and purpose are bound up in my profession, what happens when I lose my job? If my identity and purpose and value and worth are bound up that as a younger person I was an incredible athlete, But what happens when I get old and fat and my knees don't work anymore? Who am I? What value do I have? Or as a mama, mamas, have have you gone through this? When as a mama, your life was wrapped up in your children, taking care of them, serving them, and, and giving your lives for them, and then what happens when the nest is empty? What happens when your children grow to such a degree that they don't need you like they used to? Where is your identity and purpose and value if it's been wrapped up in anything, built on anything other than the foundation of God's Word? What happens if as a successful business person I fail? I make a bad decision. I lose it all. What happens to my identity? What happens in our culture, in, our, in us, when we don't feel comfortable in our own skin, I no longer feel beautiful, or this kind of revolution that we're experiencing as a country where I don't feel comfortable in the gender, the gender which God has given me. I don't feel like XX or XY. What happens when my parents pass away? And I've been bound up for a number of years taking care of them. Who am I? Do you see why truth is so important? Why the truth of God's Word, a building our identity and worth and value, is so important for us to do that on something that is unchangeable? So if circumstances can change and surroundings can change and people can change and feelings can change, what happens when they change? Does truth change? No, it can't. 
there's no logical end to the slippery slope that truth can change with time, culture, feelings, emotions, people, circumstances, upbringing, that truth can change. That's a slippery slope to go down. And we can't do it. So if my identity, purpose, worth, whatever, are built on the shifting sands of those changing things, when change comes, either truth has got to change, the truth, I've got to change the way I believe, or my life utterly falls apart. But if there is a reality, if there is a truth, if there is identity and purpose, love and salvation that is outside of ourselves, it's not dependent on how I understand things or what culture I'm a part of or how I feel at a certain time. It's not dependent on any of those people or places or things. If it's not, then when change comes, what happens? We stand firm. Why? Because as Jesus says, if anyone hears my word and obeys them, he is like a wise man who builds his house on a rock that when the storm comes, he will stand. That was Jackson's illustration. Having being, been built on a strong foundation... Parents and grandparents, don't you want that for your children? Are you live out there this morning? Don't you want that for your children and grandchildren? That in this world that we live in, that they might be built on the rock. Isaiah 40 verse 8 says it this way, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. So let me ask you this question. And I know maybe today I'm asking a lot of people who are Christians, but maybe some of you aren't. Or maybe some of you, you feel like your lives are falling apart. Let me ask you, what is the authority in your life that dictates your truth, your identity, your value, your worth, your purpose? What is that authority? It's either God's holy word or it is something else. What is it? This is why we so desperately need the Bible. Which brings up a question. You, you might say, Ryan, how can I even trust the Bible? How can I trust the Bible? Which is a great question because it's next in my notes. Thank you for asking. So, Vody Bauckham gives a great quote. And I want to give you this quote and, and I've, I've taught on this at some other times, but would you put that up there, Mr. James? I think it's the next slide. He says, this is why you should believe the Bible, Christian. He says, the Bible is a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses in the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. They report supernatural events that took place in the fulfillment of specific prophecies and claim that their writings are divine rather than human in origin. Now, let me stop and just say, if you were to ask yourself, why do I trust the Bible? And your answer is, well, I was raised that way. Is that a good answer? No. If, you were to, if, you, if I were to ask you that question, you were to say, well, I tried it and it worked for me. Is that a good answer? No, because that's very subjective. There's got to be something bigger, a better reason why we trust God's Word. And let me just explain real fast a few of these things. The Bible is a reliable collection. What do I mean by that? When we look at the Bible, we often think about it as a book. 
But really, there are 66 books inside this volume that we call the Bible. 66 books written by 40 different authors. They were, those 40 different authors wrote in three different languages. Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. The Bible was written on three different continents. Africa, Asia, and Europe. It was written on three different continents, three different languages, 40 different authors, 66 different books. It was written over a period of 1,500 years. And guess what? It all tells the same story. It all tells the same story. It, it, it does not conflict with itself. And that is a miraculous thing. That all of those authors, all of those books, all of those languages, all of those years, all of those places... Yet it tells one story. Did you know that it is not just a reliable collection, but it's historically accurate? Do you know that there have been over 25,000 archaeological digs in, in di direct relation to the content of the Scriptures? And not a singular archaeological dig has confounded the truth of God's Word. But every archaeological dig has supported the truth found in God's Word. It's not that archaeology is really proving the Bible, but rather archaeology is finally catching up with what we've always known to be true. It's more trustworthy than any ancient um, book known to man. Did you know that? It's trustworthy. What do I mean by that? Have you ever heard somebody say, well, the Bible's been translated so many times. How many of you remember playing the game telephone when you were a little kid? You sat in a circle or a line, and you started out with a, a sentence or a story at the very beginning, and one person had to pass it to the next person, and the next person had to pass it on down the line and around the circle until finally it got back to the very end. And what always happened at the very end? Was the story at the very end the same as the story at the beginning? Never. Never. And if you were in the middle, you were the guy who just wanted to mess it up royally. If it was about princesses, you made it about a baseball game or something like that. You just changed it just to have fun with them. Right? And many people will say, well, the Bible's like telephone, the game telephone. It's been translated so many times that what we have now is not what we had then. And that is the farthest piece of um, opinion from the truth that we could ever imagine. When we look at the original ancient Texts. When we look way back in history, there are over 6,000 manuscripts and pieces of manuscripts that put the Bible together, and the, what we have in these ancient manuscripts are exactly what we have in our English version today. Why? Because it's not like the game of telephone where you're translating someone else's translation. Every translation of the Scripture has gone back to the original language and the original manuscripts for its substance, not somebody else's uh, translation. Are you with me, church? It's trustworthy. Not just to mention over 6,000 manuscripts that all say the same thing, which is what we have, but the early church fathers, the early church fathers, in their writings about the Scriptures, quoted the Scriptures so much that just the early church fathers could compose all of the Bible except for 11 verses. 11 verses. It's all there. And guess what? The early church fathers, in their quotations, in their writings about the Bible, say exactly what we have in our Scripture. 
It is a reliable collection of historical documents, and it's written by eyewitnesses. Written by eyewitnesses. These people saw Jesus. They were up on the mountain with God. It is a trustworthy book. Fulfilled prophecies. Now, I love talking about this stuff. I'm not going to get into it today. But the more that you dig into the Old Testament Scripture and the life of Christ, you find out how many prophecies that Christ fulfilled in His lifetime, His very short life in ministry. It's an incredible thought. Now, I'm going to come to the last one. Here's why we can trust the Bible. And it, 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 it comes down to Jesus' resurrection. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, why should we listen to what he said? What's the basis? Why would you listen to a man who claimed to rise from the dead but didn't? But if Jesus actually rose from the dead, we would be foolish not to pay attention to what he said. That's why. Let me come back. In your Bibles... 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says, All Scripture is breathed out by God. It's breathed out. God breathed. So what an amazing opportunity. Look, church family, many of us are looking at our culture around us and we're going, man, this culture is going to hell in a handbasket. Let's just hide in the church and we'll stay away from them. But church family, what an amazing opportunity that we have in the midst of a culture that's looking for truth, searching for truth, purpose, identity, and worth when we have the wonderful words of life to give them. What an amazing opportunity. It, the, the culture around us is opposed to the church, but it's not a hindrance to the church. It's an opportunity for God's church to be God's church. And we have that opportunity, Seneca Baptist Church, to declare God's Word through singing and preaching and evangelism. It's exciting. And this is why the Bible is central to Seneca Baptist Church. It's central for two reasons. One is it's central to us for spiritual formation. Spiritual formation. You cannot grow. Lean in here. Lean in here, every one of you. You cannot grow as a Christian apart from a regular encounter with God's Word and surrender to God's Word. You cannot grow apart from knowing Him in this book. How many of you have ever said, God, I just want to hear God's voice. If God would like speak to me, I would listen to Him. And can I just tell you, church family, God has spoken. You want to hear His voice? Open the book. Read it out loud. You have just heard the voice of God. Are you with me? You just heard it. So when we gather together as a church, our church services are primarily, not completely, but primarily about the saints' discipleship, spiritual formation. We sing the Word and pray the Word and preach the Word for spiritual formation. Now, the Bible reveals it this way. It says that each one of us is being formed and discipled by something. We're being formed and discipled by something. So look back at your Bible. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, 
for correction, for training in righteousness. That's spiritual formation. Spiritual formation. Teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. And the Word reminds us that we're all being formed and discipled by something. Now, some of us, listen to me, we watch too much news. And you're being formed and discipled by the news outlets. Choose whichever one you watch. You're being formed and discipled by it. How do I know that's true? Because you're, you're living out that the world's chaotic and it's falling apart. You live in this state of negativity. Do you hear good news on the news? No, they don't like focusing on that, right? They only tell the sad part of the story. And so we feel like we're just living in this cloud of negativity. Wherever we go, there's the rain cloud that follows us around. We have a a lack of trust for all in authority. We have fear that's growing up in our lives. Anxiety building up in our hearts. Why? Because what are we feeding ourselves with? We're being discipled and formed by something. Maybe it's social media. Now, this might not be big for a, a generation in this room, but for other generations in this room, this is huge. Why? Because we're constantly looking at other people's lives or the very best parts of other people's lives. And what are we playing the game of comparison? And when we begin to play the game of comparison, because you're not going to put when your kid's melting on the floor at house, right? When, when there's last night's spaghetti stain on the wall, right? You're not posting that on Facebook or on social media. You're posting the, wor- or the best days, the best picture, where everybody's dressed the same, looking at the camera, smiling, right? You're posting that. And so then you look at your life or their life and you go, man, what am I missing? We play the game of comparison and that leads to a lack of contentment in our lives or in an adequacy we feel that I am not what I ought to be because they are what I ought to be. Anybody else, just me, struggle with that? Culture? Maybe you're being discipled and formed by culture. Have you noticed that the culture that we live in has been desensitized? You know, it's, it, it is an agenda in our culture to desensitize the generation to come. To disintegrate morals that we've held for a very long time. Or as the Bible says, to call good evil and evil good. We're being, we're, we're being formed and shaped and discipled by something. So listen, church, that's why we sing. And that's why we preach. And that's why we pray God's Word. To push back against what the story is that the world is pushing on us. We declare the full counsel of God's Word to fight against the world's deceptive narrative. We are experiencing a barrage of anti-Christian, unbiblical information being put upon us in front of us every day that we're consuming. And so when we gather, we want to sing what is true and pray what is true and preach what is true. Paul reminds us in Romans 12. Do you remember he says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be what? transformed by the renewal of your mind. 
transformed. So, in other words, we're either being conformed to the world or transformed by the renewing of their minds. Question, is there middle ground? Nope. There's, Paul, can I have option C? What's option C? No, either this one or this one. Conform to the world, you're being pushed in, pressed in, pressurized into the pattern of this world, or you're being transformed by the Word of God through the Holy Spirit of God as you gaze upon the glory of God day by day through His Word. So we gather to remind ourselves of what's ultimately and eternally true. When we come to church and when we begin to sing, we often think, you know, I didn't really like that song. I'm picking on Christopher for a second. I didn't really like that song. Two things. Number one, that song was not picked for you. Right? Worship is to who? It's to God. And when we come... We have to recognize that there could be, hypothetically speaking, in this world that you live in, there could be a person in that world that this song really blesses. And so in that moment, what I need to understand is I'm singing this to him, and I'm singing this to remind my brothers and sisters of what is good and right and true. I'm singing to one another. How many of the songs... How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord. It's, it's not to Him, it's reminding one another. It's, it's, hey friends, fear not. How firm a foundation. It's a reminder to us. Why? Why do we sing and preach and pray the Word over one another, to one another? Because we're a forgetful people. Have you noticed that about yourself? You can know the truth of God's Word on Monday, but when something bad happens on Wednesday, you have completely forgotten what you knew on Monday to be certain. Are you with me? It's funny how that happens. That's why we've got to preach the Word to ourselves. We remind ourselves. Jackson introduced us to a song not too long ago. My worth is not in what I own. Not in the strength of flesh and bone, but in the costly wounds of love. Or in the blood of Christ, in the blood of Christ that flowed at the cross. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my hope and peace. This is all my righteousness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning new mercies I see. All I have need. This is what we're doing. Do you get it? We're singing the word. Why? Because we need to be reminded of what's true. So when you come to sing, it's not about you. It's not about me. So we've got to constantly realign ourselves with God's Word day in and day out. That's why I preach the Word. 
Why don't you preach topical sermons? I like preaching the Bible. What does the Bible say? Let's walk through a section of Scripture. Let's open it up. Let's look deeply at it. It's why I was in the book of Luke for 17 years. I've only been here seven, but it felt like 17. I've been in the book of Hebrews on Wednesday night for a long time. Why? Because we got to be in the Word. Because it's not my little pithy wisdom sayings that are going to save your soul and sanctify you and form you and shape you. No, it's the Word of God that does that. Colossians 3 says that, that we're, all, we're all putting on the new self created in the likeness of God. It's being renewed in the likeness of God day by day. And that's the way that we flourish as human beings. So Christian, if you're a Christian, well, let, let me start. If you're not a Christian today, can I just tell you, there's a Savior who will love you beyond what you could ever imagine that love could be. He will love you despite you. He will love you at your worst. He knows everything about you and still He died for you out of love. And in Him today, you, ha you can have hope and life and joy and peace and identity and purpose. And you will find satisfaction like never before. And so if you've never trusted in Jesus, do that today. But Christian, this is why we need to gather. This is why it's important. This is why God says in Hebrews chapter 10, don't forsake the gathering. This is why we need to get into God's Word each day. This is why we have Bible reading plans available for you out on our front foyer, in our front foyer. This is why we need to nourish our bodies or as we nourish our bodies, we nourish our soul. Parents, grandparents, listen to me. This is why it's important for you to bring your kids to church. To be a part of something that is feeding their soul. That is building a foundation for them. That when the shifting sands of the world come, the storms of the world come, they won't fall because they're built on the rock. Have you noticed how in your own life spiritual formation and discipleship is the long game? Have you ever wished that it would go faster? Why is this taking so long? Why do I have to keep learning the same lessons over and over? Have you, have you ever felt like that? It's the long game. Whether we're at church or at home, it's the long game. Whether it's your life or your children's life, it's the long game. Play the long game. Play the long game. Get into God's Word. A regular, consistent intake of His Word over time in community. That is what's going to change us from one degree of glory to another. When we believe rightly, our hearts, our minds... Our actions will transform according to the will of God. Second thing, second reason we do this, we 
talk about the Word, and the Word is central to us, and we preach and we pray and we sing the Word of God. The second reason, and this will be short, is for the equipping of the believer. I want you to look at 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17. It ends with this. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. That, what's the end result? That the man of God, the woman of God may be complete. That, that word doesn't mean to be perfect, like you're going to have it all together, but it means you're going to be equipped and ready. For what? For every good work. For every good work. Now, if the hope is that you have to be perfect before you get involved in the good works that God has planned for you, we're all never going to do anything. But aren't you glad that the Bible's full of testimony of God using broken people, cracked vessels, crooked sticks to hit a straight lick? Aren't you glad of that? Aren't you glad that even though David sinned grievously against God, repented of his sin, and was known as a man of God's own heart, The Messiah himself came from the line of David. When we think of the church, we often think about it. It's just a place where I come to get fed. And the moment I'm not getting fed, I go. It's just a place to meet my needs. And if my needs aren't getting met, I go. It's It's a place that does the work of ministry. And so when I'm paying my dues and those people up there aren't doing the work of ministry, I take back my money or I go. It's just a spectator event. And I go in, and when when what they're serving doesn't line up with what I'm wanting, then I go. But that's not what it reveals in Scripture. We want you to be fed. We want your needs to be met. We want to join you in the work of ministry. All of those things we want to be true. But really, church is a training grounds for the saint. We're here to equip you, not to be a a showpiece of perfection that we put you up in the corner on a pedestal and go, look at him, look at her. Ah, isn't she beautiful? Perfect in every way. No, but to become useful in God's kingdom initiative. As the world gets darker, the light shines brighter. And God, in this dark world that we live in, wants the truth of his word. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet a light to my path. That word begins to shine brighter in this culture that we live in, and we want to equip you to join God in doing what He has said He will accomplish. And so through a week-by-week declaration of God's word, application of God's word, we want to equip you for the good works that God has prepared for us. That's why we declare and we disciple and we deploy. And this fall... This summer even, but this fall mainly, we're going to begin to host some short classes to equip you for ministry. How to engage your neighbors, how to share the gospel, basic apologetics, a little bit of missions training, international missions training. But just remember, you don't have to have all the answers before you get involved. Many of you may have waited so long to get in the game that a thousand opportunities have passed you by and now you've just thrown in the towel. But can I tell you, don't throw in the towel. Don't let another opportunity to join God in His mission pass you by because you don't feel like you have the right answers. I promise you, if you will be obedient to God's call to do what He says, God will be obedient, uh, or faithful, I should say. God will be faithful to meet your needs as they arise. So we'll end right here.
Here are our reflection questions. Four things. Miss Margaret, would you come up? Play a little bit for us. Christopher, would you get ready? Four reflection questions. Number one, do you have a regular intake of God's Word? Are you in the Word every day by yourself? Quiet time? Daily devotion? Are you a part of worship and Sunday school? Sunday school is so important for your life. Don't miss it. We've got a great Wednesday night Bible study where we just dive deep and have a lot of fun. Come. Number two, what storyline are you let define your life? Are you letting define your life? Is it the narrative that the culture's feeding or is it God's narrative? Is it God's word? Where's your worth? Where's your value? Where's your identity? Where's your purpose? Where do you get all those things? Is it something from the world or from the Word? Three. Do you come to church for you? Or do you come to church to help stir one another up to love and good deeds? It could be both. And parents. Maybe this would even apply to grandparents when you have an opportunity. At home, are you discipling your children? When you have the opportunity, are you pouring truth into them, knowing that when you send them out into the world, the world will be pouring lives back out? Would you stand with me? In just a moment of silence, would you respond to the Lord? We're going to have just a moment where it's just you and the Lord. You meet with Him. You talk to Him. You let Him give you the answers to these questions. And if you need prayer, I'd love to pray with you. If you would like to get saved today, I would love to introduce you to my Savior. If you just need to repent and confess some sin, today's the day. We've got some sweet men and women who'd love to pray with you if you need them. Let's just spend a moment before the Lord. Pray with me. Father, speak now. Teach us. Psalm 119, 105. 
reads, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light 